Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. Today, I'm joined by Paolo Gomez, who is the Vice President of Global Supply Chain South America for Schneider Electric. Paolo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining FinTV. That's my pleasure. Well, Paolo, why don't we just start right away as the question I ask everyone as soon as we get going, which is, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? All right. I think uh, it's fair to say that I've dedicated most of my personal career to supply chain as a, as a whole. Um, I've, I'm a mechanical engineer by formation, and I started early in 1986 uh, working in the automotive industry. And just one and a half year later, I moved into electronics industry. Right? I've been doing that uh, beginning as an engineer for sure, then moving into uh, other types of management for production lines, and then uh, engineering, and then well, eventually I was uh, asked to work as a liaison for my previous company uh, in the United States. I, by that time I was working with IBM and I was a liaison manager there uh, because we had a very complex plant in Brazil where I live. And then back to Brazil, uh, we start, I started to, to move into other positions and eventually I grew up to being where I am today as a vice president for Chaney Schneider after, after having passed through, through many um, positions. Um, both in South America as in the U.S., uh, lived in Mexico, lived in Argentina, always dealing mostly with the supply chain, manufacturing, logistics, all of this. So it's, it sounds like you've moved through quite a number of different positions within the supply chain field. How have you seen the profession change and evolve since perhaps you got started to how things are today? Well, quite frankly, changed a lot, right? And uh, for the best, for the best. I would say that the challenges are similar to the other ones in the past. I mean, uh, you, you cannot change the world in terms of uh, where the locations of the, the countries are, right, for example. But uh, the way that they look much closer, at the same time more complex today, it's quite different from 30 years ago. Definitely, uh, we are now utilizing much, much more of the, let's say, digital solutions for sure. They have been helping us. They have been uh, helping in the sense of having a little bit more of control but sometimes they also create other types of challenges that we have to cope with. So um, it is a continuous, continuously evolving type of field. And I think that we have to have that in mind that it will continue to evolve. And I, I foresee that the evolution in the next few years is going to be even more exponential. Right now that we are gathering a lot of uh, different uh, tools and processes all together. So, so clearly the skill set for, you know, perhaps of a supply chain professional 20, 30 years ago is different to what it is today. How do you think the skill set will change? You say it's going to continue to evolve. What will it look like or what, how will it change in 10 years? Right. Well, there are some things that will never change, I would say. First of them is that the people have to be savvy about uh, how the international um, movements of, of goods will happen. What are the political barriers or the commercial agreements that we have between different areas of the world, this is, this is always going to be there. And they represent sometimes opportunities, sometimes a challenge to the, to the commerce and to the movement of, of goods. 
But on the other hand, in the past, we would be, we would be using, as you remember, phones, faxes, and things like that, right? So today, everything is uh, on the tip of your phone, and uh, you can, or your watch, and you can uh, take decisions immediately about it. So I think that uh, the, 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 the professional of today and the way this profession is going to evolve for the future is not only that this gentleman or this lady has to have more um, digital acumen, but also have to understand how to utilize this digital tool, this digital um, uh, information, pieces of information towards a, a faster decision process, because not always having the data is enough. You've got to have the data and know how to utilize that, right? So I, I think that the professionals of the future not only have to be trained in sense of the, how to utilize the tools, but also how to properly judge around the information that they have. That's a mixture of experience plus training. And I guess that, that goes to what you said about how the fundamental principles of supply chain haven't evolved. You know, you still have to have that international movement of goods, uh, still have to deal with geopolitical factors and so forth. That's not going to change. What might change is the, the skill set in terms of more digital acumen. You're still going to have to make decisions, but probably quicker. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Now, clearly, we're in the middle of a pandemic uh, at different, at different um, stages, I guess, around the world. You're in South America right now, probably uh, experiencing quite a lot of what we experienced here in Europe a, a few weeks ago. How does a supply chain professional deal with um, the, you know, a world with this level of disruption and uncertainty at such a global scale? Right. Well, let me first say that uh, I think we never worked as much as we are working right now, right? And I think that's true for everywhere around the world. And it's, it's been very good, first of all, because as you know, sometimes we supply chain guys are in the backside, right? In the back office. And now we came to the front side, to the front line, and everybody's looking at what we do. Everybody's trying to understand us more. So even you know, the sales teams or even the, the, the top management in the, in the companies, they are really relying on our inputs to make sure that they take correct decisions at this time. So first, that created, I would say, a much higher level of visibility for the supply chain professional right now, which means that we not, also, not only have more responsibility to, 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 to share with the others, but also we have uh, also more ability to get proper information backwards. It not always is, is, is true, right? Sometimes it's just more like a, we are trying to provide information and the information that we get back is only when you have some type of issue in the, uh, in the deliver or something like that. So right now it's different. Everybody's talking to us all the time. And that's very good. On the other side, uh, as I said, uh, we are working a lot around the clock, 20 hour, 24 by seven all the time, really. Um, with that, uh, I would say that we are being able to sort uh, what's, what really works better from what does not. Uh, let me give you some examples, right? Uh, I think one very important piece of, of the modern supply chain uh, type of processes is to have a good control tower, right? We, we do have a control tower in our company and that is paramount for uh, being able to anticipate all the issues that might come in two to three weeks down, uh, down the road. And uh, this control tower right now is the epicenter of all the discussion. Everything runs around that. We have to make sure that we, we understand what happened to the deliveries of, uh, of something that was delayed or why is that the, the, this, this, um, this boat has not arrived yet? What happened to the cargo? Did they move? Did they not? So, uh, and when you consider that, in, as I said, in our case, I'm responsible for South America. And in South America, we have some specific um, situations which are very, um, very critical to us. We are far 
from the, let's say, the biggest origins of, of most of the subassemblies are goods. It's mostly to Asia or from Asia. So everything that you bring to South America, they do not come straight. If you put them on a boat, it's going to take from 30 to 50 days on a boat from Asia to here. And that boat is going to stop in some places. So it's not like the same thing you put that on a boat and take that, let's say, from China to the US. No, you take that from China or Hong Kong, whatever, it comes to South America through many ports. And then uh, this adds complexity to the, to, the, uh, to the chain because you have to be controlling all of these stops because sometimes they just move the cargo, right? And uh, so more complex in that sense, um, it requires from the professionals right now, a lot of uh, flexibility. You have to take decisions uh, on the fly and, uh, and risk more. Uh, but you can only risk more if you have information and if you have uh, reliable tools and data. So we are really um, uh, trying to excel in utilizing the proper data and utilizing uh, the, the proper processes. Uh, but as you said, and I said, uh, the, the bases are still the same, right? So we still have to have the old gut feeling of a good professional on what is the type of the decision to be taken. And that can only come with experience and training. And, and let's talk about digital transformation. I mean, it, it's, it's a conversation that was front of mind for everybody pre-COVID. I think post-COVID or during COVID, it's almost accelerated the conversation around digitizing. What, what does digital transformation mean to you? Well, um, I would say that it's, it's much more than the simple words of transformation or digital would convey. It's more, I would say, like a, a real, a real, uh, change of mindset uh, on everything, on, on people's uh, behavior, on companies' behavior, enterprises' behavior. Uh, one company may think that the digital transformation is just giving them the tools to work or giving us the tools to work and training us on how to use the tools. Well, it is that, but not only that. We need much more than that. So we don't, uh, we really don't uh, understand digital transformation as only you know, uh, being able to utilize the latest tools are being trained on them, but rather uh, also being uh, aware of the possibilities of one tool, the other one, uh, how to uh, properly get the best of that, how to say no to these processes when they, they, they are more, they're adding more complexity than, than really simplicity. So uh, first of all, I would say that we have to think on at least three pillars for digital transformation, right? First is really how to uh, understand and deploy the proper processes and tools to make sure that you are going to be um, uh, able to deliver uh, more productivity. The second one is how you train people, how you make them aware on the property, uh, on the proper utilization of these tools and these processes. And the third one is how do you put a layer of security around the data and the processes. Cybersecurity is really, really needed for everything. So if you don't have these three pillars, which is the technical one, the people, the person one, the people who are the people bound one, and the security one, you're not going to, be, to, to fly correctly. So after you have this foundation only, it's only then that you can think of the next layer, which I would say is how to utilize artificial knowledge, artificial intelligence on top of, of the, what already had constructed. So you need the basis. And the basis for me, as I said, is knowledge on, on people, good processes and tools and security. Then you build upon that. That's how we have been doing in our company. I really think this uh, works very well and we have to continue in that process. 
You know, it's funny how uh, I interview quite a lot of people and I talk to them a lot about digital transformation. Uh, I did that before COVID. I do that after, during COVID. And everyone has, I think there's a consensus that digital transformation isn't just about technology. It's about processes. It's about people. I think pre-COVID, everybody was just focused on the really sexy, amazing technology that's out there. Now people are starting to realize that you can't do that without people and processes. I want to be very honest with you. You're the first person that has said to me, that security is one of the same, you know, you give the same level of importance to that. Do you think that a lot of companies are failing to take the seriousness of security in their digital transformation journeys? Absolutely, I do. I do think that many of them are uh, underestimating the problem of that. Um, I don't need to provide uh, examples, but it's important to remember that these examples are out there, right? Just for you to know, um, during the last three years, if you don't forget it, we had major cyber attacks, always at the end of the month of June. So think about it, it's the end of second quarter for most of the companies around the world, always at the end of June. So it was three years ago and the end of June, we had, if I'm not mistaken, that was, I don't remember the virus name, it doesn't matter. So one year later, at the end of June, we had the same thing again. So it was not, it's not a casual, right? It's not a coincidence. It's not random. It's its not random. This, there seems oh, to be a deliberate. Not. Yeah. And um, we, uh, in our company, in Schneider, we were very much aware that uh, cybersecurity, well, it is one of the pillars that we have in our own strategy. So we had been uh, working very much to prepare. We had not been uh, affected directly. So we were very happy. However, some of our providers did. So we suffered indirectly because of some of the providers, right? So um, some, uh, I think it was last year uh, in the country of Chile, uh, the port of Valparaíso was very severely uh, affected by one of the virus that uh, went there. So, you know, it, it, it is that. Cybersecurity is equally important to all the other ones. We cannot underestimate it. And you know what, do you think that there's enough investment that's being made in businesses in those other pillars? Technology, I would say yes, but what about the processes, people and security, just generally? Oh, yeah, I would say that normally people think first about technology, right? Because it's easier to do and we have lots of people selling that around, so it's easier to think about it. On, this, on the people side, I think that the, the, the biggest enterprises understand already that you have to continue training the people and making sure that it's not only on the technology, type of training that they have to, to evolve, but also on the judgment abilities, you know, all this maturity of the organization. On the cybersecurity, I would say that it's still the area in which many of the companies would be still, would be lacking uh, the, the investment on. And um, we see some of them already investing in them. And uh, you know that there are some uh, interesting uh, KPIs in the world to, to tell uh, how, how secure is your company. We follow some of them, and uh, we would suggest that other companies would do the same. I mean, if you can just go around and look for them, you're going to find. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, we also know, I'm not going to mention names here, but we also know of some big, big, big carry companies that were almost broke because of cybersecurity issues just 18 months ago. So, uh, but they, uh, you don't even have to give examples. I mean, everybody sees examples of governments, for instance. I mean, no one is uh, no one is immune to this type of attack. I mean, it affects different types of governments as well. Um, let's talk about um, you know Industry 4.0. Uh, let's talk about the really exciting technology that's out there. 
Is there any ex ex technology that you think that you're excited about? As a profession individually, I'm excited about almost everything I tell you because, you know, uh, think about, uh, I don't want to tell my, my age here, but in the very beginning, not so many years ago, even using a, 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 a personal computer was very difficult for some companies, right? And we are now, we have, we have uh, ubiquitous uh, type of, of, uh, of processing. So I'm really excited about all these uh, 3D printing, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. That is really great. But I would say that um, let's be more practical, right? And uh, one of the, the challenges I think of artificial, not sorry, artificial intelligence, but about Industry 4.0 as a whole uh, today is to make sure that we can utilize the technology in a productive way. So let's think about it. We, we know that we have uh, a 3D printing availability. We know that we have very interesting ways of developing uh, new tools, new processes very fast. So these design thinking processes and things like that. We know that we have artificial intelligence uh, um, experts all around to help us create nice algorithms, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is fantastic. And uh, if you go to a very nice, uh, big international, multinational company, we are going to be finding a fantastic way to, to put this to work. However, you may become uh, an island of technology uh, within uh, an ambient of uh, non-technology at all. What I mean is you need the ecosystem. So I only think that um, uh, uh, Industry 4.0 will really, only really um, give out its full range of opportunities, its full range of benefits when we also work with the ecosystem. So we cannot be, um, uh, let's say, egoistic about it. We need to also develop our suppliers, our customers, everyone to think coherently around the opportunities that we have. If not, we are going to develop some very nice uh, things that uh, we can, a very nice process, for example, that we can utilize at home. They're going to be very effective, but let's say in the, in the time or at the point of selling that to your customer, we are going to sell that in the same old way that you use it to sell because that customer did not understand or did not have the means to, be, to get the benefit of this new algorithm that you had put in place. So it's like, uh, 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 it's much bigger, I would say, than only you do that yourself. I think uh, I'm very, I'm very, very confident that it's gonna change a lot of stuff, uh, but it's going to take a little bit more of time until it gets spread. So how, how does a supply chain director today overcome that kind of challenge? Yeah, um, I think that uh, we have to start by, that's how we try to do, by working in two uh, dimensions. First one, we try to uh, cooperate with other companies that has the same type of need of, of knowledge and intention. So for sure, in, in, in this beginning, it's easier for you to rely upon bigger companies uh, for, let's say, for a carrier, uh, a big player as a carrier that also has these types of, uh, uh, of uh, development. But we also have to understand that whenever, for example, we are acting more locally, sometimes that big carrier, just to talk about transportation right now, sometimes that big, big carrier is not uh, the best one there. And the one who eat, which is there uh, is not uh, still at the same level of technology development as the other ones were. So what we try to do, we work together with them. We also train them. 
uh, in the process of selecting our partners, we, we have some prerequisites. And some of them have to do with these, uh, let's say, technology survey type of uh, requirements. And not having that uh, requirement uh, attended, it's not a problem sometimes. It's sometimes it's an opportunity for us to join with them and develop them together with us. That's one. The second one is to try to see um, what we have in the market that we do not do, we do not utilize, we do not have, and still can help us. So we are normally also partnering with uh, some startups which have very interesting solutions. Um, so we have um, some initiatives that uh, we try to be close to this uh, to these houses of of, uh, of development, right? So we go to the centers of development and try to look for a startup that may have some interesting solutions. And we have found some very 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 interesting. So uh, it's also a way to to promote the development of others. Meaning, I don't develop myself. I go look for someone who does that. So. Uh, that's very just very advanced and disruptive of you. I mean, a lot of the companies that we talk to are pretty well-established, large, bureaucratic, uh, heavily processed businesses. How can working with a startup, I mean, is it feasible working with a startup and, and integrating something like that kind of thinking into a, a large established business? It's not simple, but it is possible. And um, I would say more, it is desirable. Right. At first, because as you said, the big enterprises are tend, tend to be bureaucratic, busy, etc. It is our uh, uh, our duty as a leader to make that change also happen. I mean, we want the enterprises to be big, but also lean and also uh, let's say uh, light. Uh, one of the ways to do that is not to extend the bureaucracy or the heaviness of the company to something which is new. If this new part is already there, is already light, is already uh, very lean and well developed. So we look into that and we try to bring into, the, into, the, into our own areas some of the, the thinking processes that they have. I myself have already run a seminar with my team inside one of these uh, think houses just to make sure that we feel how they behave and that we try to mimic that uh, design process into our own daily operations. So it is very healthy. It is very healthy. So, so, so bringing sort of startup thinking into, into an established business has helped you, uh, I guess, deal with building an agile, maybe responsive supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. These buzzwords like, you know, um, uh, fail fast, for example, and correct even faster, right? They're not buzzwords in in the in the uh, startup startup. World. No, it's a reality. Yeah. So we, we must learn from them because normally in enterprises, if we fail, we are asked to explain why, to whom, to all the levels. No, 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 no. We have to okay, fail, let's fail fast, let's correct fast. That's part of the reason why we're trying to engage with these uh, newer uh, partners. Yeah. And, and let's talk about people and teams, you know, so we talked about the evolution of the supply chain function. How have teams, supply chain teams evolved over your span in your career and how will they evolve moving forward? Yes. Well, first of all, we, 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 cannot, uh, um, um, we cannot underestimate the, the power of the new generation coming, right? These guys come with so much energy and, uh, and a, a lot of um, pre um, pre-born knowledge with them. I mean, they were born digital and supply tech, supply chain now is totally digital. I was not born digital and I had to adapt. So I think that the right thing that we have to think about how to evolve going forward 
is how do I take the best of both worlds? In our, in my personal case, in some of my generation, some of which are a little bit is even, let's say, younger than me, we had to adapt. And having to adapt mean, means that we, we learned to be flexible, we learned to adapt. So this is our strength, right? The new ones, uh, the, the new guys that come to the, to, the, um, to the businesses, they already have something more or less given to them. Uh, they were already born with a cell phone in their ears. Uh, everything that they get is given. They don't have to, I mean, you can just download everything, right? So it's good because they know how to do that. They are fast, they are uh, capable and willing to accept the new, uh, but sometimes they don't have the flexibility or the agility to adapt to the changing environment that we had to do. So this mixture is very, very rich. We have to have both. We have to have some of these experience and we have to have uh, the, the, new, the new guys coming. So what we try to do, we do um, cross mentoring. You know, the older ones uh, are sometimes mentoring the new ones, but the new ones are also reverse mentoring the older guys. So we do both mentoring. So that's from the part of, let's say, uh, less, uh, less technical development, more like interpersonal and, and, and values development. So we try to do that, this mixture between older and younger generations and this cross uh, development in terms of coaching. On the other hand, uh, we try to make sure that all of us, all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, that we have access to the same type of formal knowledge, formal training around the new tools, around the new developments. And we, we, really, um, we really try to promote that our teams are engaging into, the, into different types of entities around the, the community, around the, the society to see what's happening. And uh, not only contributing with our own experience to society, but also getting from society what's happening and feeding us up with uh, everything else that they see and hear. So it's really a holistic type of approach that we take for this development. And the future of these professionals are going to be, I would say, the more holistic that they are, the better they will be for supply chain. And, and do you think that um, uh, being able to have an organization that has that kind of cross-mentoring uh, helps to bring in people into, into working into the supply chain function? I do, I do. I would say that this cross-mentoring would, would help bring people to any function. Yeah. But uh, I, I totally understand your question because supply chain is not always the, the area that people think that is a destination, right? Well, I, I've always said that I think that supply chain has got a bad rap. You know, we've got a bad reputation because we've, you know, supply chain people have always been seen as back office, warehousey, you know, movers of goods. Uh, and is, that's not very attractive, is it? So how, I think we've got an image issue. Would you agree to that? Totally, totally agree. And uh, as, as you asked it, and I answered yes, yeah, uh, this cross mentoring helps a lot. Um, just recently, just in the last uh, three years or four, uh, there were two professionals that I brought from uh, the business side into the supply chain side working with us. These two guys are just loving what they do today, right? One of them became a, one of my best plant managers. He's in another country already. And I mean, he says, I never wanted to do something different. Uh, but the point is, we've, we've, we've got to be able to give them the opportunity. So it's also up to us to be more, uh, let's say, like good communicators and good advocates of what we do. We have to be able and to know how to sell what we do. Uh, people sometimes do not understand the importance of supply chain. The, the reach of what we do and how and how how funny 
that can be how fun that can be, right? So uh, yeah, I think this uh, cross uh, relationship, cross mentoring helps a lot. And uh, but we have to do more, and it's up to us. Nobody's gonna come to us and ask if uh, I'm doing something nice or not. It's our duty to show that. Let me go back to COVID again. I mean, one of the things, the emerging trends, uh, or, or I guess the emerging topics that we keep going on about is the opportunities that are being created from this pandemic. Again, not to downplay the tragedy and uh, the certain challenges that this is having today and will continue to have on people's lives and the economy, et cetera. But, but do you see that there's an opportunity now for potentially redesigning supply chain, maybe more look at different business models like uh, more sustainable business models. What do you think are the opportunities uh, and challenges ahead? Well, uh, definitely there are challenges and opportunities. Maybe we see more the challenges right now than the opportunities yet, because at least we are still struggling with them. But I can point out some of them to you. For example, uh, definitely in terms of redesigning the processes within within the, the, the sites, within the plants, within the warehouses, there's a lot of things that we are learning from the COVID. Um, uh, specifically in our, in our company, in Schneider, we, we are very much uh, cautious about safety of people. And that just became top of, top, top of mind right now with the COVID, as you can imagine. So we're learning a lot about uh, social distancing within the processes, how to still be able to accomplish what we have to accomplish and not, um, I'm sorry for the back, background. That's okay. It's okay. okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. But anyway, we are uh, we are trying to do uh, everything that we can to redesign the process within the, the the sites and the plants, and that's part of the, the the good things that's happening, the good things that are happening. However, in terms of uh, challenges, there are still some ahead of us, and I think that uh, we will have to think about uh, how to redesign, I would say, the global supply chain as a whole. Um, we are indeed too much concentrated in some areas of the world, right? We know that. And um, it's not easy for us, the practitioners, or only even the companies themselves to be think where we are going to put the manufacturing sites or the, or the hubs, etc. Yes, we are part of that, but it's, it's going to be also dictated, let's say a lot, by how the international trade will evolve. Uh, but uh, we certainly have to rethink that. Uh, we cannot be dependent on uh, having uh, a crisis like this stop the whole world uh, just immediately as it did. So we, I think uh, we, it's, it's on us, the supply chain guys, to also suggest, think, calculate, and promote other alternative ways, alternative places, and, and to fight hard for this. Because it's not for us, it's for the future generations. So you really you, you, that. I, I agree with you. And, and you mentioned, you know, I'm just looking at my notes now. You mentioned about how uh, there's more visibility around supply chain, the profession these days, you know, especially with COVID. One of the big things that uh, that I'm seeing is that supply chain is all over the news, which means that the supply chain professional has been elevated. Do you think that that is the case in companies? You know, is the supply chain professional getting more of a voice around the table? And does that mean that there's an opportunity for the supply chain professional? Yes, we, we are much we are being heard much, much more right now. Um, uh, our voice is uh, considered, I cannot say we, we were not, never heard. We, we were always heard, right? 
uh, at least in the, in the big companies like ours and others. But right now, the, the, the weight of what we say is completely different. And, uh, and people are all the time recognizing the work of supply chain, thanking us all the time, because you know, we are trying to make sure that we do not stop, that the work does not stop. And yes, there's a big, big difference right now. People are recognizing much more, you know, such the supply chain professional is at least at this time, uh, taking a little bit more of a recognition. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, what advice would you have for your supply chain professionals right now that are in the midst of crisis that are trying to juggle crisis challenges as well as preparing for the future? Well, first of all, uh, what I try to do with them every day is uh, hang on there, right? Hang on there. We've got a lot to go through yet. So uh, first, the other thing is don't, don't uh, overestimate don't, don't, uh, sorry, don't underestimate the difficulty that there is, there is still ahead of us. We are in different levels of, of uh, let's say, victory of this pandemic around different places of the world, right? Right now, the Americas is still fighting to get through the peak. And whereas in, in Asia, it's gone. So first of us, first of all, we have to, to, to continue fighting that resilience, resilience. Second, uh, what I tell the guys is, Think about what we've been accomplishing. We did great. So think about what you did to make so nice things right now. Let's, let's replicate that later. And third, let's learn from the difficulties that we had to face right now and try to get to the root cause of that and understand how we can avoid that in the future. Because for sure, some of the problems that we still facing today were created by yes. Whenever you go there and you say, okay, let me find when, when a uh, great supplier for that, and I'm going to concentrate all my supply chain for, for that supplier because it's going to be cheaper, blah, blah, blah. In some cases, I may have been broken now because I had just that one. So how to also learn from them what is the right level of concentration that we should pursue or not. So let's learn. So my big advice is this, let's keep learning. Let's um, be resilient and let's be happy because people are looking at us. It's an opportunity that's created now. Um, you know, uh, last last thought that I have, you mentioned clearly about uh, decisions that have been made perhaps because of uh, supply chain being a cost center and dominated by financial metrics and so forth. Do you think that's going to change? Not substantially, I would say. I would say that you have to keep in mind that uh, until- I mean, you still, need to, you still need to make money, obviously, clearly. For sure, there's a part of supply chain which is also, let's say, able to be considered as a profit center, right? Because we can sell services, we can sell expedited services, we can sell knowledge about the products that we are delivering or services that we are delivering. So yeah, we can be kind of a sales part of the team for sure, but um, we have to understand our place. And our place is really uh, uh, to fulfill the companies with the services that they need to uh, deliver to their, to their end customers. So as such, uh, it's important that we continue to be cost conscious, right? Uh, however, we may be able now to understand the value that we deliver more than the cost that we deliver. So this is perhaps the biggest change, right? Uh, I think people recognize the value and we can also understand even more right now and be able to sell this value bigger. Paulo, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time to come onto FinTV. 
Uh, hopefully we'll see you at some of our other digital events and so forth and uh, stay safe. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Yes. And everyone, thank you and stay tuned for the next episode.